Well, here it is, 2024, the first show of 2024, year 11, as we start our march on educating the EMS career field, bringing you some good entertainment, bringing you some great uh, opportunities to learn, and bringing you the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. The ladies know he's the man with the power, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you too, man. It's uh, 23. The uh, I didn't think day, years could get worse than 2020 and 2021, you know, but uh, apparently the, the dumpsters get stinkier and the fires get even even hotter. <laughs> This, I mean, what are you talking about? The 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 year is just two weeks old. What, what's what's the matter? No, I'm talking about 2023. I'm glad oh. to close the books on 2023. I hated you, 2023. You darn near killed me. Yeah, um, literally. And, yeah, and it it sucked, but it's it's better now. It's, well, you're glad that you're up and running, and we're glad to be mm -hmm. back with you here. And I just want to remind everybody, the ninth annual EMS Trend Survey: What Paramedics Want in 2024 produced in partnership with Fitch and Associates and the National EMS Management Association is ready. This year's survey explores issues tied to provider recruitment and retention and safety and health and wellness and support, technology adaptation and career development. Go ahead and find the survey. We're going to go ahead and put it in the show links. And this is your time to have your voice heard. And we want, we're going to remind you for a couple of weeks to do that. And we want everybody to have the trend survey completed. Kelly, make sure you put that on your things to do list yep. and yep. I will do the same. And I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the year as well. Yeah. But you know, this is the thing. Let's what talk. What do you want as a paramedic? What do I want? Yeah. What do you want as a paramedic? I don't know, man. I mean, I think the things you, you being serious, you want me to be funny. Either. Wait, wait, you can be funny. Oh yeah. Oh my no. God. I mean, okay. I'm a, I, I tickle, I tickle myself if I don't tickle anybody else. You know, I think the things that we have to really work on is, you know, what EMS is going to look like. I think that there's a lot of work that we've done in community paramedicine. You know, I spend a lot of majority of my time working in community paramedicine. And I, I think that it's in a place right now where we can uh, branch off and move forward. But you know, I, I also think that we need to increase the knowledge base of our paramedics and allow them to do more. I think we need to increase the knowledge base of our EMTs and let them do more. I would like to see us change system design from paramedic EMT to two EMTs and paramedics in a chase vehicle. I think that that is I'm really, I think that that really is going to be what's dynamic <laughs> and change system design okay. because we have EMTs that are capable of doing work that are capable of delivering the highest quality of patient care. And we haven't used them to the best of their ability in years to go in years. Oh. I'd like to be able to find a way to take care of the volunteers in the system. And, and every time we say that, we always say, what are we going to do for our volunteers? I want to remind everybody out there, your whole workforce is volunteers, right? So it's not just the volunteer, yeah, you know, people who are just volunteer, but they're all volunteers when they come into our organization. And then finally, I think we got to worry about rural EMS. I mean, over our vacation, Kelly, we were reading, you know, more EMS agencies are starting to close. So if we think about what 2024 is going to look like, who really takes the charge of all these things that we just talked about? I I don't know, but 
it's, you know, I've, I've said it for years that we need to take charge and, and steer our profession. And, and generally we don't, as a profession, we tend to be reactive rather than proactive and, and accept the way things are as the norm. And this is, this is kind of a, a battle that I've, I'm fighting and trying to change the mindset of my, my paramedic students, you know, the, we got some great people up here and we got some well-meaning people, but the EMS system has been in crisis for quite some time and staffing is a problem. And we got volunteer agencies that miss more than half their calls and they're not even trying to staff, even hiring staffing agencies and whatnot. They're not even not even trying to put a full truck together, even though they're spending money to do so. I mean, is that and, because they're and, just not available or what, I mean, what's the, what's the catalyst for that? You know, I, I, you know, I, I, you, you, is it you, too uh, political? You, come to, you come, No, no, it's not, it's not really, well, no, it's not really political. It's just, it's the typical thing in small towns and small communities everywhere. We do it better than the other guy. We don't want to rely on the other guy. We're not going to help uh, combine with the other guy. Uh, I'm not going to cooperate with that squad and merge with them because they beat us in a water polo match in 1957. And literally, they beat us in a hockey match and beat their guts. And when was this? I don't know. Eisenhower was president. And, and this kind of mess... But but we had, you know, we, we keep having the the conversation about normalization of deviance. And and they go, Kelly, what's that? And I said, when things are crappy for so long, people start thinking that crappy is the way it's supposed to be. I said, and, and, and I hear from you guys, you know, we don't do that or I don't see paramedics doing that. And I was like, just because you've never seen it or just because paramedics don't do it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done. Well, doctors think we're, you know, the doctors won't let us do that. And so, you know why they don't let you do that? They don't let you do that because their baseline for EMS professionals is that you're not professional and you're not to be trusted and they're going to hold the reins tight. I said, how do you, how do you change that attitude and, and start getting more respect and more trust and everything? Well, you have to be worthy of it. And that's what we're trying to do here. So be better than the people you've seen. Identify the people at your agencies that that are worthy of emulation, good mentors, and stick in their back pockets. I said, and the other ones that are not worthy of being, you know, think of them as cautionary tales and, and vow, don't be like that guy. And and that's the that's the way things are going. You know, they got some got some great great people in this class, and they're trying hard. And and they're dealing with with me, um, feeding them from the fire hose. You know, it's a lot of information to to get in nine months, and for the most part, they have they have leaned into it, and they're doing fairly well. The problem, the 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 biggest obstacle is going to be the obstacle that we face in every EMT class and paramedic class everywhere for generations how to turn them loose at their agency and keep the people they work with from ruining them. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that goes, I think that there has to be discussion about personal and professional development, right? And you and I yeah, have there talked. Is. And, there, and, it's, and it's pretty much non-existent in, in many places, not just, not just upstate New York. 
but I've said in this show before, and uh, I say it to a lot of people, you don't let the people around you dictate your professionalism. Oh, I have been quoting, quoting Chris Ceballero on a regular basis. Do you use my, do you use my name? No, no. Okay. You just use my quotes like they're yours. I've, I've said that very thing. I said, you know, don't let someone else's attitude determine your own. Don't let someone else's professionalism define yours. Get my attorney up there to make sure there's no intellectual. Send me a cease and desist letter. That's right. You know, so I do want to ask, I, I do want to find that about your class, because I'm sure that there's clinical things that have popped up. And we're going to talk about really what we're going to be doing in 2024. I think one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to take one show a month or two shows a month and really now start to talk more about clinical, mm-hmm. you know, since you're teaching it, it's going to be fresh, right? Yeah. It takes a lot of time to prepare a show around clinical. So I think that that's going to be one of the things. But yeah. you asked me what I want in 2024. What do you want in 2024? Well, my my focus has narrowed so much because I'm so busy. I want to see 17 New York State and National Registry paramedics come August. That's what I want. And I want to see 18 or 20 more in the pipeline ready to go in early spring of 2025. And I want to keep this this thing going. And I want to prove some people wrong that thought that we can't do this. And when those people are note that uh, other agencies are much better off because they're they lent their support to the people taking the class, that uh, they they feel a little bit burned by that and and hop on board. So, Billy Grayson, that was my challenge. You're yeah. my hero. <laughs> You know, I just, it's, it's a, it's a struggle. You know, these, these guys are not just, they're drinking from the fire hose. I'm drinking from the fire hose too, to try to plan and stay ahead and put out the inevitable brush fires that happen in every single class. But I think you got to remember too, this, this is your first one really up here. And well, my first one up here and and you have the knowledge and you got the knowledge and you got the experience. And once you get into the swing, the, the classes are going to be the same, right? Yeah, it's just that yeah. you're developing that's, that's it as my you hope, do. Is that once I have it, you know, turnkey, and I just, yeah. I just copy paste so much and get in there and do my shtick. But, but trying to, to get it ready to go now. But uh, you know, starting to get, they're winning people over. I don't get blank looks in class anymore. I, I ask pointed probing questions, and people raise their hands and volunteer stuff, and 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 they're actually thinking. Uh, rather than being intimidated by the volume of information or just giving me dumb looks like, oh, well, they're asking me what? You know, nobody but what what is the big challenge before. then that you're having? Let's let's think about it from a didactic standpoint right now. You know, you're you're new into your class. I mean, you started in November, so they've got a few months in. So when you think about the didactic challenges that you're trying to, you know, share with them, what are they? What what are you saying? Well. I think that, that, you know, in every class you have high performers that are going to, they're going to do well in the class, no matter how bad you suck as an instructor, you got people in the middle. You're of talking the about you personally, the, you personally. Yeah. And you got people at the lower end of the spectrum who are going to be a struggle keeping in and, and keeping motivated and, and making sure that they put out the work and, and don't flunk out. And that's that way in every class. And, and the, dealing with the the 
tailoring what I do to the people that can benefit from it the most is, is probably the biggest challenge. And, and, and one of the major problems or not major problem, one of the challenges is self-imposed and it's my own fault. I have a standard in teaching. And when I ask questions and I expect people to understand things, people have to remind me, and it's been reminded several times, Kelly, entry-level paramedics, entry-level paramedics. <laughs> I was, I was doing a, a test item writing session and, and one of the, uh, one of the, uh, guys in the, the session with me were a very respected program director from another part of the state. And he, you know, he, we kind of shared a laugh. He was like, um, you know, we're, uh, he said, we, we think alike, but <laughs> is that something an entry-level paramedic should know? And he's, I said, well, I think so. And he was like, oh, really? Do they need to know it that deep? And I was like, well, they ought to, you know, and, and you want to change the world and you want to change the profession of paramedicine. You want to start with the, the, the higher tier of education and more stringent education with your class, but Rome ain't built in a day. And, and and trying it's it's not fair to these these students to uh, impose standards on them that that especially in a in an accelerated course that they're going to struggle to meet so at some point you know i have to tone down my stuff and go like you know what you're doing well you're you're give me an, do you have an hard. example do you have an example of what you know you're you're talking about first test kick their butt absolutely kicked their butt and and i wind up giving them a mulligan and everyone in the class was allowed to retest because i had out of 17 i had three passing scores well and everyone else failed what was the first exam what was it over it preparatory preparatory okay. but it was the just the volume because you had six chapters 10 chapters that you you're dealing with so picking your questions carefully. And, and I always trend toward tough, you know, bloom, higher levels of, of Bloom's taxonomy uh, type questions, you know, synthesis, application, creation, that sort of thing. And they're, they're deep test questions and that's the kind I favor. But, you know, there also needs to be some easy test questions. And there, you need to be able to regurgitate a fact here and there and get credit for it and, and that sort of thing. We, we identified a knowledge gap, but it wasn't because the people were, were dumb or that they were poorly educated. They weren't. But, you know, when the standard is we only expect so much out of you, even if you graduated from class with, with a set of knowledge and skills, if you never use those things and mainly you fetch equipment for another person and you, you and hand them stuff and you take the patient to the hospital in marginally better condition they, than they were when you started and that's good enough and everyone around them has been satisfied with good enough, then, you know, is it reasonable for Kelly to expect them to be stellar? Oh, how do you fix and, that? And you know something, I, and, I, and, and I'm, but that's that was that's been a problem of mine at at in Louisiana, <laughs> you know, that I expect my people to be stellar and and to outshine everybody else and to be rock stars. Every single one of them graduates my class should be a rock star. Not so everybody's a rock star. How do you deal and, with that? And, and, and 
how do I deal with it? I mean, First if you're going to repeat, if you're going to repeat every question I ask you, it's going to be a long well, show. No, <laughs> this is how I deal with it. Number one, my own expectations, because I expect too much sometimes. Plain and simple. I know this. I pick up concepts and understand it at a deeper level with fairly little effort. And my Achilles heel as instructor has always been wondering, why can't other people, why, why, why do you have to, to hear it so many times before you get it? Or why does it not make sense to you? So, and, and uh, I struggle with that even today. And the other thing, the other part of that equation is, is um, teaching them to expect more of themselves and, and getting them to do things that they didn't think they were capable of doing. And, and a lot of, you know, you, you get some of them, they'll go in with a negative attitude. I can't learn this. This is too complex. And I was like, guys, I'm a professional explainer. That's what I do. You That's know, and, and if I can't explain this to you, then it's a failing of mine Yeah, and you don't need to beat yourself up about it. We're going to get through this. And my goal is to get you through this class, not to flunk you out and make you feel stupid and impressed about how smart I am. It's the other way around. I, I don't know that people, people are impressed, impressed about by that. how smart my students are. I said, so you can do this. So, you know, getting the students to stretch and expand their boundaries and realize that they are capable of more than they thought they were. That's the charge I get out of being, being an instructor anyway. Sure. Teach them something they didn't know they could do. So then let's, what did you teach them today? I mean, what, what, what block are they on now? We did, we did patient assessment all day and, and it's comprehensive adult patient assessment or and obtaining a history from a uh, conscious and alert patient pure vanilla history taking and physical examination but the thing well, is you can't get a history people, you can't get a history from an unconscious patient no you can't get a history from an unconscious so, patient. i mean it's good nice, that you nice it's good that you qualified um, that though but but for for someone who's taught opqrst and that's all you got to ask you know, and they don't know what tangents will bear fruit and, and how to steer the conversation back and the concept of therapeutic communication, all the te various techniques of therapeutic communication have never been really addressed. And it's the first time they're here and it's a challenge. Plus, some of these skills like comprehensive adult patient assessment, we had to check off two of those today. We didn't get them done. We're going to have to get them done some other time. But You've got 208 items, 208 items in one skill session. All right, well, it's worth 208 down. points. I'm down there. I'm down. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, you know, and, and you have to, you have to tint, temper expectations because they look at this and go, well, there's no way I'll get 208 points. I have to make 160 of them to, to make the cut score. And I said, well, first I determine the cut score right now. And I don't care if you make 160. If in my estimation, you've done a thorough history and assessment on this patient, this is a successful checkoff. Two weeks from now, my standard will be higher and yours should be as well. And and you get the, you always get the, well, why do we have to know this? We never do this. And I said, well, first of all, you don't know what you don't know. How many, how many of you have been paramedics before? Nobody. How many of you have been teaching paramedics for 30 years? Nobody. Then shut up. I don't see, 
<laughs> I don't say that, but I was You've like, got a you great bedside you, manner. You don't know what you don't know. And, and you don't realize what's useful until several years down the road. I said, so one of the things that we did today was, was like, okay, don't look at this 208 item checklist. Actually, it's, it's not 208, it's 104 because you can get a one, a zero, one or two Likert scale. So it's, it's 104 items instead of 208. But even so, it's a lot of stuff in one skill. And, and they think, well, I will never get this. And we don't expect you to get all of this. And, and we don't expect you to use all of this in the field. But until you get used to broadening your the scope of your assessment and your history taking, you don't know what's useful that you've never been taught until you've seen some of the things acted. So so let's let's take this like the buffet method. We in our debrief after the after the skill session, we're going to talk about what items and what answers that the, the the patient provided that are relevant and and what question it might branch to from that. And and yeah. after you've done this a few times and you realize that that you're never going to need to do 104 question item questionnaire on a patient. On the other hand, there might be 20 items in there that you never considered in your patient assessments that you can add to your repertoire. And that's what we're doing. So, and you know, the patient assessment is the most important skill a paramedic EMT has. Yep. And it's by it's, far medical assessment and history taking is by far more, more difficult than trauma assessment. Everyone worries about trauma assessment. History taking is the tough part. It is. And that's one of the things I had a conversation with a paramedic and he's works in a transfer system. And he was saying that he hates his job because it's just mundane and they don't do anything and they don't do any skills. And yeah. I was like, partner, you're, you're missing, you're missing such a great opportunity because you yeah. can develop your rapport building skills. You can develop your assessment skills. You can develop your um, technique on listening to lung sounds and heart sounds because yeah. everybody, everybody out there, you should listen to heart sounds and lung sounds, regardless, even if they have knee pain and you're taking them to the hospital because they broke their leg, they should have normal lung sounds. They should have normal heart tones. And when you listen to those things and listen to them consistently, and then all of a sudden you hear something in the lungs that you don't know, that's not normal, or you hear something in the heart that's not lub dub. Then you can go to the doctor when you arrive on scene in the ER and say, doc, there's something in their heart. I, I don't know what that is. And now you've taught yourself what an S3 gallop is, or you've taught, your, taught yourself how to grade a murmur. And that comes from only your confidence in knowing what normal is. So, you know, that's, yeah, you that's, know, that's a teach I, of the day. I, they'll, they'll, they'll get done with their simulated patient assessment. They go, okay, I'm going to load the patient in the ambulance and take them to the hospital now. And, and then they look at me expectantly as if the scenario is over. And I was like, first of all, the ambulance has wheels for a reason. And this whole do your entire assessment on the scene and then transport and do nothing else. I don't know where you learned that, but stop. <laughs> but you're 30 minutes from a hospital. Ask more questions. Yeah. Uh, and, there's and a lot assume, of, there's a lot of things in this career field where people have died in the back yeah. of the ambulance with a paramedic who has not done anything else. Once they put them on that stretcher. That's right. That's right. And I, and I tell you, you know, you got 30 minutes in the ambulance, 
you got more questions to ask. You got more history to have. You more you got more patient rapport to build and and a conversation to engage in. To keep yeah. doing it. And well, to what purpose? I said the purpose is, is that when you arrive at the hospital, there's some doctor who's going to look at you with a stern glare and ask you a question you do not have the answer to, and you're going to feel about that tall. But that happens anyway, regardless of what you're. It, it does, but we shouldn't feed into it and 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 meet those, you know, and bow to those expect or or accept those that those low expectations. So, all right, cool, man. Setting your goals low as you tend to meet them. Very cool. So, 2014, year 11. You know, we'll pick up another 50 shows before we end this year, and that'll bring us over to 700 shows. Hopefully, we could pick up another million, li- another million listens inside again, EMS. You are my longest lasting relationship. We are, we are the podcast that everybody else imitates, so they can <laughs> uh, have a successful show. There's some good pod- pod- podcasts pump- popping up. There are. We there need are. to get I'm some of those hosts on one after we're done with you oh good nice but we need to get some of those hosts on our show so they can talk about their shows because this isn't just about inside ems rob lawrence has a great show you know the folks at montgomery county have a great show you know ginger lock our friend has a good show and you know you really should be able to take the opportunities to listen to all the podcasts this is just our take on topics everybody else has different takes and what you need to be able to do is when you listen to the experience is to figure out what parts of the experience you like, what parts of the experience you're going to try, what parts of the experience that you can polish and make your own. And whenever you learn something from somebody, and this is one of the things I've been on a kick lately, Kelly, before we get to our close is never give somebody the information you got from somebody else. You always take that information. You always analyze that information. You always polish that information. You always add to the information. And that's what you share with people. Don't regurgitate what I'm teaching you. Teach somebody else what you have to teach them. But 2024 is going to be a good year. We've got a couple of live shows that are going to be that we're going to be able to take some uh, questions. I think the first one is February 23rd look for that and i'm excited for 2024 kelly i'm excited to be with you once again on the longest relationship of your life and no fighting we've had no fights we've had no No fights fights. so all right get us up on that again we never go to bed angry well i don't but hey you've heard what we think we heard we'd like to hear what you think how's 2024 going to be for you and your agency how are you going to shape your career and and move forward in your profession in 2024? If you'd like to like us to talk about something we haven't talked about yet, shoot us a, a line at the show at ems1.com. Check us out on iTunes. Check out our YouTube channel. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. Don't forget the trend survey.